Hi, my name is Ramila, and this is Secret Life of Sibs. Millions of people across the world have special needs that affect their daily lives. We often hear about their parents' experiences, but we rarely hear about the people that grew alongside them, the siblings that are fundamentally changed by this experience. I'm one of those siblings, and I hope to share the stories of many more. Our guest today is Simone Klein, a full-time college student at Brown University. Hi, Simone. Thank you so much for being here today. So happy to be here. Um, so just to start off, um, tell us about yourself. So, you know, where you're from, your sibling, uh, what you're up to right now, anything that you want to share. I am 19. I use she or they pronouns. I go to Brown. I'm a student right now. So I'm also a dancer. I love dance. I was a figure skater in high school. So movement is really big to me. Um, I'm from Boston area and I'm, I'm pursuing an independent concentration at school. So I'm a lot of what I do right now is thinking about what I want to study and how all of the um, pieces connect. So that's been really big for me. Yeah. That's really interesting. I've never, um, I've never actually met someone who figure skates, which is, <laughs> I took figure skating lessons when I was five once, but that did not last long. <laughs> um, would you mind telling us a little bit about your sibling? Yeah. So my sibling, I have an older brother. He has gone through sort of like a series of diagnoses. So where we are currently is kind of the pile up of, of a bunch of them. So I think growing up, he was diagnosed with ADHD. And, and as he got older, it was depression and anxiety, his really serious depression, anxiety. And um, then he got a diagnosis of autism. And then just recently got a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. And so my experience of him now sometimes is very connected to those, those labels versus when I think about my experience with him as a young child, it looks different. And so um, I think siblingness feels like a very fluid thing in, in my position, but we're not very close. We actually don't really talk. Um, I just saw him. I was home for Thanksgiving. We probably said a few words. Yeah, but he's my older brother by two years and nine months. Yeah, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned how siblinghood, for lack of a better term, is fluid. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned that he's almost three years older than you, right? So when you were younger, how was, what are your memories like of childhood uh, with him as a big brother? I remember... And I like poetry, so sometimes I get into the, <laughs> um, I remember his softness, like he was really soft. Um, he, he has this really pale, soft skin when he was a, a kid. Um, and he was a very gentle, I think, you know, his, his being was very soft as well. He cried really easily and just was upset really easily and wasn't sort of like, um, it's interesting. He was also he was also violent and aggressive in a lot of ways, but somehow I remember him being very soft. And um uh, you know, he sort of just smelled like home. He spent a lot of time at home. He's always been very much of a homebody. 
And when I was really young, I think he was somewhat of this like older brother figure for me in that he had friends, which is not something like that is a heavy thing um, now, but he had friends. And so his friends would come over and I would get to hang out with these older boys. I was very, very young. We were all very young. Um, and in the mornings, very early in the mornings before our parents got up, I would get up and I would go into his room and we would both sit on the heater vents with um, blankets wrapped around us so that the heat flows into our little like uh, tent of, of self, like little warm tent. And we would read oh. comic books like Calvin and Hobbes. I can't think of the names of the other ones, but that is a really sweet memory that I go back to because I don't think that we spent time together other than that. That wasn't sort of like going somewhere together as a family. Um, but I would, you know, put my head on his lap in car rides. Those were the moments where I felt like a siblinghood connection. And I felt, and what that meant to me was that I was taken care of. It was a feeling of safety and comfort. A lot of growing up with him was chaos is kind of like a really good way to describe it because it was just a lot. And I think this is something that a lot of siblings share the experience of like their sibling just taking up a lot of space. And even when we were young, this was still a really big thing. And, you know, one thing that is part of my brother's autism is like socializing, right? Um, he's not great at reading social cues. He doesn't understand that. And so in social situations, I was this outgoing butterfly and I had a lot of shame about the way that my brother interacted with people. And so it's something that I think about now that I think about informs our relationship of me having so much shame for him and being really like just dripping in it and so expressing it. And I think my parents didn't know what to do with that shame. I think they were feeling some of that shame. And so it it was a very messy experience also because we didn't have these diagnoses. He's 21 now. Yes, he's 21 now. And the autism diagnosis was only a few years ago. So growing up, I also didn't have a lot of support, um, which is part of why I feel myself so drawn to connecting with siblings now and learning about being a sibling of somebody with developmental disabilities or um, really intense mental health challenges is that I felt like I didn't, I didn't get a lot of support growing up. So I think there was an, there was a level of like ignorance also that was really important to my childhood. Um, when I think back of like, I think it would have been really painful to, to know what I know now, understand my brother in the ways that I do now in my family, like the dynamics, um, having been through a lot of therapy to, to like go through my childhood, like knowing that I think for a while, like not understanding was, was somewhat helpful to, to not feeling so like isolated in my family and isolated as a whole. But I have one other little anecdote. I know I'm talking a lot. I was moving out to um, some of my gap year plans. I took some time off from school. And this was, I graduated in 2020. And this was the fall after that. Brown had done a weird corona thing. So they like weren't having first years come in fall. So it was kind of both a choice and also like needed to happen. And I didn't want to stay at home because I'd been waiting to move out forever. It was like, once I get to 18, I move out. And I remember I was talking to my aunt about this and she said something like, you know, yeah, I mean, you've been wanting this since you were nine years old. And I'm not close with this aunt, actually. So it was kind of shocking. 
But she was like, I remember you as like a nine-year-old, which is really little, you know, like at some family event talking about moving out and talking about like looking forward to that. And it made me really sad because it, it was like, oh, wow, I'm proud to to like be out and be in the world and be learning new things. But it brought me back to that self of like feeling, feeling really trapped in honestly, like the, the life of like, you're with your parents until you're 18. And then I also had this like crazy idea that once you turn 18, you like can get away from all of that, which is not what I've experienced, especially having ties to, to my family and wanting to rebuild that. And um, yeah, so com- very complex. Yes. And I, I think every sibling journey is very complex. Um, I think first of all, you have shared some really beautiful memories and moments from your childhood that you remember. Uh, and I think that's also, that's so important to hold on to as a sibling, right? Like it's a mixed bag. There are a lot of great moments and a lot of good feelings associated with being their sister. But at the same time, like you said, it's complex. There's also like shame. There's guilt. There can sometimes be resentment. Um, Something that you talked about was uh, not having certain labels when you guys were younger. So it was, do you think that once he did receive uh, the autism diagnosis or recently mentored the borderline uh, personality diagnosis, was that helpful in kind of mentally framing how you saw your brother as a, as a person? Oh my God. It was the best. Like it was so helpful. Oh, just to like, it just made sense. You know, it was like, oh yeah. Like it was, it was really deeply validating because it it felt like a separation of him and mm-hmm. his sort of challenges in a way where when we could name the challenges more, they sort of all came together into it's like when you're like cleaning hair on a shower and you're like gathering the pieces like it's so much more satisfying to see it all as like a thing and and especially with borderline personality disorder I've recently been doing some research on it and you know I think I did have a lot of resentment and I do still have a lot of resentment and just like deep like disgust sometimes and hatred and and a lot of that comes from like real deep hurt from my brother and from harm um, that he's caused like in in me or in the family. But somehow like the naming of it took it away from something that he was doing to me and it made it into sort of, you know, just like a symptom, like like it it somehow became you could attribute it to, to something. Yeah, it became less about me it became less about him um and it got and it was just about this this thing this challenge um this difference and I also get to tell people now and that's really exciting instead of just for a while it was just like oh my brother has a lot of stuff is what I would say because it didn't feel like ADHD or depression or anxiety encapsulated his his like experience of the world and just tornadoing into everything it didn't, it didn't encapsulate trauma in a way that I felt so deeply and do feel. And so um, having that also to, to share outward. So it's like this self-validating thing. And then also 
a way that I get to bring other people in too, which I find is like one of the most difficult parts about being a sibling or, or was for me. I had wonderful, wonderful friends, but just did not talk about it ever. And, and our families were kind of these private separate things. And I've since brought this up and I'm now like, uh, with some of my friends, we like ask each other intentionally, Hey, how's your family doing? How are things with your mom? How are things with your dad? How are things with your sibling? And that's really important to me. It's something that I wrote about in the scene that I created, um, like how to bring this stuff up and be like, hey, I want to offer this to you. I want to share this with you, this piece of me um, so that you can have support, which is really important so that you you don't feel so isolated. Like isolation felt really big for me. So. Uh, you just mentioned uh, the zine you created, just so our listeners know what we're talking about. Um, would you mind just telling us a bit about that and maybe how, you know, we were talking before recording about how writing plays a huge part in your identity and, you know, maybe how you process things. Would you mind elaborating a bit on that? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Thank you. So I'm in a class right now, it's, but it's called Arts and Health, and it's kind of about the intersection of art and science. Um, specifically for folks with autism or folks with Parkinson's disease. So a lot of what we learn about is like embodiment. We did a whole thing on dance therapy. There's some other topics. It's kind of this wide learning spectrum. But um, the first time I've ever formally learned about autism and definitely like probably one of the first times I've ever really learned about autism, period, which is another thing in itself of like parents and education and, and that thing. But um like sibling support is education in a lot of ways. But I had this midterm project and was figuring out what I wanted to do. And I'm big on the creative projects. I'm big on zines. I love zines. And so I I made a zine kind of after a zine that had really influenced me on, it was a zine on anarchist learning spaces that I had read um, from somebody I knew in high school. They had made this zine. And so I I started crafting my own and it's a zine for siblings, about siblings, about siblinghood of people with developmental disabilities. I talked about a lot of little things. Most of it, it, it felt almost like a therapy reflection journal. Um, I had lots of fun with like the design of it, but I did a lot talking about, well, first I talked about what a zine is, who, what the, what is this zine, who is this zine for, why am I making this zine, talked a little bit about my family, and talked about like boundaries and, and why boundaries support relationships. I did a little cute thing on like sometimes it's it's good to remember other forms of family so like I put down things that that were family to me outside of like, typical family um but there's this whole narrative also I won't get into this but this whole narrative about family is forever and like that can feel really scary and really trapping I think like that especially in America it feels like family is supposed to be this place where you tolerate anything because it's family and that is so not true and yeah, so I talked about like camp counselors, soft freeze, putting on pajamas, other forms of family. Um, I talked about the framework of disability justice. This was something we learned about in class. I used my background in, in studying nonviolent communication to talk about ideas for sharing uh, your experiences with disability or with being a sibling. Um, some reminders, some reflection questions. I talked to another sibling that um, I met in this group, Sib20. Um, who was doing some research and some grounding exercises, um, talked about the difference between guilt and shame. I also was a fellow at a yoga retreat, so I've, I've studied like some Tibetan Buddhism, incorporated a little bit of that, some poetry, and some resources. 
So it was a really fun project. I had a blast getting to reflect, getting to find more resources for myself, getting to talk to other siblings. Um, it's work that feels really important to me. And I'm always really impressed by how strong we are. We're so strong. Yeah, that's so true. And I think that's part of the reason why I, I also wanted to start this, right? Like part of it comes from, yeah. you know, knowing our own experiences and like how you said, it's very isolating. Uh, and anything that we can do to use our voices to help or not help to at the very least raise awareness to other siblings that they're not alone you know and that alone is so validating I remember joining sib 20 it was I was 19 years old and I'd gone through you know so many years of my life never having a real conversation with another sibling about their experiences that mirrored mine or even even just like getting to witness all of the different experiences of what it can look like has also been really supportive for me. I also joined Sub20 like recently, like in the past year or two and getting to see like, because I think there's not often a community of, of siblings and like families with, with children with disabilities, or at least that wasn't something that I had, getting to understand my own context by learning about other people's. Yes, uh, absolutely. And I wanted to touch on a specific thing that you mentioned your zine talks about, uh, the concept of kind of family being forever and how that can be harmful uh, and almost stifling uh, in a way. And I wanted to ask in your own experience as a sibling, did you ever feel a sense of responsibility, um, a sense of duty to your family uh, that you know you shouldered and you still shoulder? Mm. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, a lot of different responsibilities, which can feel like a lot of different weights or people tugging at you or yelling at you. I didn't have like a great part of that wasn't, okay, where's my brother? How is my brother going to be supported when he was growing up? Um, I definitely had fears because he didn't succeed in school and that was that sort of structure never worked for him and there was a lot of drama around that but it was it was definitely more of like a social concern in my heart of like is he gonna live in my basement and it wasn't even a thing that I thought of of would I want him to live like if he needed a place to live would I feel comfortable providing my basement <laughs> which is may seem like, and this is the tricky thing about being a sibling is like, maybe that seems really harsh or like really selfish, but there's a real need for boundaries in my experience of like with folks with disabilities, a lot of the time that's something that's like more blurry and it's a part of sustainability, like of sustaining that relationship is having really strict and like compassionate, but solid boundaries. And I think growing up, I felt, um, I just felt like I wasn't, and I still feel this a lot now. Okay. Especially because mm. we don't talk. Um, one way that we communicate, which is kind of silly is he'll send me. So I'm, I identify as queer and my brother is also queer and he'll send me like a queer TikTok um, once every like six months. And that's kind of a way that we are able to share something, but truly we do not talk and we do not have much of a relationship. I don't know who he is much these days. And that space is made like to keep me safe. But something that I 
feel a lot is the responsibility of being some sort of advocate um, for him, which feels just like giving him more space when and like would something would be something that I wouldn't do authentically. Um, I know for some people that comes really naturally and it feels like, oh, my God, this is like an issue that I really care about and I want to like raise money. Um, and I I feel really drawn to like tough work in a lot of activist spaces, but not in mm -hmm. the ways that I've seen it be like with siblings. I have this image of like dancing through like the autism speaks parade or something like hand in hand and like raising six thousand dollars for my brother and like it all feels very performative and also just not my reality like we're not best friends and like I don't know if we ever will be and I think part of that comes from like like autism shows up in people in different ways so some people maybe they're interacting with their teenage sibling and it's kind of just like interacting with like a little kid and it works for them um, and it can be this really loving space. Um, but I feel a lot of guilt um, for not being that sibling for him. And I feel, I think, guilt also like around my family of, oh, I wasn't that sibling and I wasn't, you know, throwing fists all the, like being really, really protective of him. Often I wanted to get the hell away from him and I wanted to not be in the same room with him and I wanted to not sit next to him. And that was really painful for my parents. And I think it would be really painful for me as a parent to watch that happen between my kids. I also know why I did it. And I feel like grounded in that. But um, it is really painful because of like, there's this expectation, I think, of family that I'm supposed to experience some type of love because I've lived with somebody for so long, where I think in reality, what came up for me was, oh my God, this has been going on my whole life. And there's so little space for me to be in this. Um, yeah. And so much resentment in that. Um, and resentment of that, what I felt was a societal pressure, like a mm -hmm. um, kind of like white America pressure to like not think of my relationship with my sibling and with my parents as any other relationship in my life but instead to think of it as this like place where anything goes and we're like I like I'm just subject to a lot of forces and I think all of that also comes in with like being a woman and being feeling like a caretaker and and like understanding that role but in terms of like family connections I think it can be so harmful also in like abusive situations which can totally happen with folks that are neurotypical and folks that are not. And like, I think it's really important just like listening to young people, like something that I felt when I first started therapy was like such a distrust of adults and a belief that adults would always choose other adults. And like, you know, realizing that that, that now that that was coming from like the family system that I was in, where it felt like, you know, my parents and my brother were on this one team and then they would be like, can't you see I love you? You know, like, why don't, why doesn't this feel like, you know? Um, so like, just super, super confusing for a kid. And, and also like shame, I think in, I've always, my parents like, oh my God, they make jokes all the time about how I was never home. 
and it's just like their favorite thing to poke me on and I just have to like you know swallow it swallow it yeah oh my god because it's like literally since I was little like I would go other people's houses and just try to be part of their family and I think it's something that I worked out a lot of like okay I'm enjoying their presence I'm making connections I'm not trying to like change my own reality but I'm letting myself be loved and like letting myself experience love in a way that I need so a big part for me of having a, a sibling was being raised by the world, being raised by so many different people. I've had so many different mothers. A lot of my teachers were big parental figures for me. Um, and my friends were like, I always had very like deep, close sibling-like friendships. And so um, I think like when something isn't getting met, like within the family unit, a lot of people look outside, which is something that I did and was definitely hurtful to my own family. And that just like adds more spice to the pot of like all the things we got to unpack at Thanksgiving. But um, (laughs) like they do make fun of me a lot because even now, like especially when I got my license, like, oh, my God, I was never home. And (laughs) and when I come home now, I'm never home. And it's something that I talk about in therapy, like with my therapist. This whole thing is just good therapy. Um, But it's something I talk about with my therapist is like, okay, how am I going to go home and know that I'm doing what's right for me and other people can have feelings about it and that's okay but I'm not responsible for those feelings and I think in family we often have this thing of like oh I am responsible for your feelings even if out in the world I'm not responsible for like other people's feelings in family I am which is not true and can can keep people in really yucky Mm -hmm. situations not thinking that they deserve more um I think there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. (laughs) Um, I think that what you said about almost that like societal expectation of siblings to be an advocate, uh, to be there. Like as a child, I think I was always praised for speaking on behalf of my brother when because, you know, he's nonverbal. He couldn't really advocate for himself. Um, And I grew up seeing my parents advocate for him always in school um, with insurance companies, therapy, doctors, you know, all of that. And I think I was drawn into that. And I think now, you know, I learned some really valuable things from watching my parents go through that. And I was always kind of consulted in a lot of those things, especially when it came Mm. to school and talking to his teachers and things like that. But I think it's really a disservice to siblings as people when you paint when when you enforce this expectation that's that that's what they have to do because mm. you know most siblings you have a relationship with your brother or sister that's like you know hey like I'm growing up with you like you do your thing I do my thing like we're friends sort of we also hate each other like that type of thing and you're not expected to really be their advocate and to add that level of responsibility from such a young age for most of us right is really harmful. And some people fall into that role just fine and, you know, all the power to them, but that's not something that all of us feel comfortable doing. Um, So I think that's a really good point that you make. So just to like segue a bit, I wanted to ask you two questions that I ask everyone on this podcast. So uh, the first is, Uh, What is one thing you wish people knew about life as a sibling to a special needs person? There's so much there. I don't wish that people knew. I wish that they asked. There's not something that comes up that 
feels genuinely general because I think everybody's experience is different. I think the important thing is acknowledging it as a experience that has a lot of complexity and does have similarities across folk stories. And so something that I'm thinking about, like that I desire from folks who aren't siblings of people with disabilities is is to ask about how the sibling is doing. Like if there's somebody in your life, like asking about that, I feel like for me feels really important. Um, you know, change is constant in all of our lives and that exists in the sibling relationship as well. And so I think part of honoring it is being curious because it's going to change. Like if maybe, you know, somebody who's a sibling, you're growing up and like things are like one way and then it's going to change when they move out um, and their sibling gets older and, and you start thinking about like, how is this sibling going to be financially supported if that's necessary? So definitely to like ask and to be curious. And I think definitely I've been thinking, and we've talked a little bit about this. I've been thinking a lot about isolation recently. Um, Mm -hmm. So fitting out of a pandemic, but just, I wish people also, this is part of the asking is I wish people knew how isolating it was where it feels like this thing that you're going through that isn't just going to end because it's, it's part of your family. Yeah, I think going back to one of your earlier questions, like for me, writing was that really big way to have those those big feelings that I didn't have the space to have. Um, and I think sometimes I was really scared to have. Like I think feeling was associated with my brother who had so many feelings and they were all over the place. And so it was kind of dangerous to have feelings to me. And then so being able to have feelings in a way that was safe, which was like writing and honoring my own experience, like poems be like little like parcels so um that's what I would say that's a really good answer I I think that just having people ask how you're doing uh and not just ask like how your siblings doing is very undervalued and it feels really good when someone does take the time to ask like how we're doing you know yeah and things come up is also the thing is like I think normally with a sibling, maybe like there's less like real, like big events, like another diagnosis happening or my brother like was hospitalized recently and like went into inpatient and like things just happen that I think things happen in all of our lives. But there, there does seem to be more of like a, oh, like an event, right? Like, oh, a new medication was tried (laughs) and like it didn't go well or it did go well. Yeah. Yes, I yes, I absolutely get what you're saying. There's always something. There's always something going on. Yeah. And then, okay, so the last question that I do ask everyone is, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to someone else who's growing up in a family like yours? It's so hard because it it is and was so hard. <laughs> I think I would encourage folks to share with people that they trust the most healing moments that I've had have happened in relationship. I think this is kind of a tenet of of trauma is that sometimes like trauma that happens in relationships or in like family systems, like interpersonally, the healing may not happen in those relationships, but the healing can really happen in other relationships where you get to learn. So I'm just thinking of like people telling me that I was enough, like that 
I've, I can think of specific times where some mentor in my life or, or like parental figure, um, I'd been talking to them and I was upset and, and they like gave me that. So I want to give everybody that, but I can't because I think the intimacy there is really important. Like, of course you are enough. Of course you are valid. And of course what you're feeling is real, but also at the same time, I hope for people that there can be an element of reaching out that feels safe where they can hear that from the people in their life. Um, whenever that happens, I think temporary is really important um, that situations change. I appreciate and I have love for all of the work that I've done because of the family that I grew up in. And, and like, I have learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I often got the compliment of being really mature, which I both like hated and also like loved like it was my favorite compliment because it was like so, yeah yeah it was like the reward it was like I'm going through all of this mm-hmm. be- because at the end I get to get the like mature gold star and that's my like yeah anyways though I'm like two siblings to people growing up in the situation like of course so important you're not alone um and and like you will get through this um and probably in a really creative way. And and I hope that you're able to like have pride for that. Well, thank you for for answering that, Simone. Um, you know, before we sign off, uh, I know that you talked about you talked about your zine, you talked about poetry that you write, and I was wondering whether you'd be willing to share um, or read aloud a poem about, you know, you mentioned that you wrote about your, you know, you growing up and your sibling role. So I would love to read poem. Thank you for asking. Um, let me see. This poem does not have a title yet. Okay. This poem is just as it is. <laughs> Fair enough. I have a brother who I do not speak to, who may be alive or maybe in a hospital bed and I, smoking a J, singing Hebrew, who vomited and I deny each meal at it, as it strikes me, who only eats white things, who did not point me to the clouds or wrap me in future or hum over the morning wind on a question I ask with comfort. I have a brother who sits in a chair called sibling, but does not grow with me. I have a brother whose diagnoses I cannot describe, and so I say he is not in college. I am in college, and I am depressed. I have a brother who ran away while bread was baking. We both got to feel the summer eve underfoot while the babysitter cried. I have a brother whose smile gives me violent thoughts. It's trained to protect. I'm that broken in. I have a brother who is only a color to me, who is only a remembering to me. I have a brother who is a stranger. There is grief and then there is reason. There is creamy skin and the smell of our hallway. But I do not recognize only shots of deja vu. I waited for so long to be free, to break away to be Kelly Clarkson. I forgot I would have to keep living and not knowing you. A green sludgy puppy, popping like candy and pulling like quicksand. 
that is how I feel you at home. And I will write a poem about your pain, the age that I scrape my own. Saw and the time in the time between the bounce of its mouthy cord, we no longer bleed opposite. You, a shy garland, serpent link, and dangling in a room of fragile things. Me, eating waves of cool scallops through my glittered forehead, plotting the pleasure of rubberneckers. Thank you so much, Swan. That's gorgeous. I I love the rhythm. It's just the way you write. It has a really nice cadence to it. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, Simone, thank you so much again for, for you know, coming on here and talking about some really difficult things. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, so much for hearing me and bringing me on. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time to peek into the secret life of Sibs with me and our guest, Simone. If you're a sibling, we hope that you know that you're not alone. And if you're not a sibling, we hope you got to learn about a new perspective. Go ahead and follow to turn on notifications for upcoming episodes, and look to the description box for a list of resources specifically for siblings. Welcome to The Secret Life, and see you next time.